0: And welcome to another edition of Unplug It, our Christmas edition, final edition for 2019. It's been terrific to have your company over the course of the year thus far. We've had a lot of fun. Putting it together, there's been drama, there's unfortunately been tragedy over the course of the season. But at the same time, as we look towards 2020, hopefully it is done so with much optimism at this time of year. Darren Parkin is my name, Nick Splitter and Aaron McGrath joining me as they do every single week. The three of us have really enjoyed putting this together for you and we hope you've had a lot of fun as well. Good to see those Unplugged stickers floating around too. If you want to get in contact with us, unplugged at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Unplugged, facebook.com forward slash Unplugged. Check us out on all of the the channels as well. I'll get Nick to verify that I've done all of those socials correctly when we introduce him very shortly. Bumper Show, we'll jump inside the Saints recruiting team with Chris Toche very shortly to have a chat about uh, how they spot talent and and how all of that process works. Jamie Cox will join us to discuss the growth in the AFL women's program at the Saints. And a club legend, a premiership player, unfortunately we can't say that about too many, which is is, uh, I guess, a source of frustration for a lot of us, but a St Kilda Premiership star in Barry Bream will join us a little bit later on in the program as well. But boys, nice to have you with us on the uh, the eve of Christmas. Nick, uh, starting off with you. As I said, I hope I've got those socials correct, but welcome.
1: No, it sounds about right. I think yeah. if anyone, if, if you're interested, just Google Unplugged, you'll find it all. Uh, we're on Facebook or on Twitter or on Insta. Spotify, um, Apple, Spotify. all of yep. those. Just yep. Pretty yep. much any any of the major podcast platforms. Um just Google. Google's your friend. Yep. Type it in, you'll find us.
0: And H, nice to to have you with us as well as we yeah we gear up for for Christmas. I know I've seen a, a couple of your youngins recently decked out in some St Kilda gear. I'm sure there's some people who are going to get some St Kilda gear under the tree over the next uh, week or so.
2: Yeah, they've picked up their memberships and ready to go for next year. And um, yeah, my three year old got a card and it says she's been a member for five years now. So that's the numbers. That's impressive. <laughs> so the numbers work out well there. But yeah, it's. it's last one for the year and go off have a little bit of a break come
0: back go have a look at the women get into that then before we know it I'm sure the season will be here that's right I think obviously it's Feb 9 for the AFLW girls against the Bulldogs and we've got the practice match I think on the 14th or the 15th I think it might be the 15th where we play Hawthorne. and there may even be a, something sort of women's football related in regards to the other the VFL side as well on that day but but certainly Maravan will take center stage in a while but the I guess the lasting memory of uh, of 2019 for uh, for for each of you from a St Kilda point of view,
2: uh, well I did actually travel up to Townsville for the game earlier in well, mid season. Um, we were sort of sitting there in the sun, getting a bit burnt and looked like ran a about train wreck half, for ran a while. About Half time going, why did we bother? Yeah. <laughs> but then it's a yeah fight back and get the win up there and made the trip nice and worthwhile and actually yeah, enjoyed the
0: holiday. Uh, and Nick for you,
1: yeah. Look, there's a couple. It was obviously. A bit of an a bit of a, a, an improvement on th- the last couple of years, um, but also some, some moments that obviously were, were tragic and heartbreaking. I think, you know, it's it's hard to go past the passing of, of Danny Frawley as, as kind of the, the moment of the year for, for St Kilda supporters. Um, you know, so many stories told over over the the weeks following. Um, that, that, you know, I don't think we need to go go there again, but that was obviously a, you know a really big moment for all St Kilda supporters and all you know AFL fans um, during the year, but. Yeah, for on field I think you know we had a couple of really good wins. It's always good to beat Melbourne. We did that twice. And Essendon. And Essendon. Yeah. We, beat, we beat Hawthorne too. Yep. Um, so you know to get a couple of get a couple of wins against some of those kind of you know rivals, old and new, um, was was nice.
2: Mm, absolutely. And it was almost one of those seasons where we could
0: say, well what's happened after the season could
2: almost be better than what the
0: season yeah. itself held. So. That's right. I mean, all of the with Dougal Howard and, and obviously Bradley Hill and Zach Jones and Dan Butler and Paddy Ryder obviously coming across to the club and uh, Ryan Burns, our earliest pick, in, uh, which was at 52 or thereabouts in the draft. So uh, we will have a chat to Chris about all of that very shortly. But if you have to pick one win, for, for me, it's, it's always Essendon. I, I love Sort of beating Melbourne as well, but the Essendon win for me in, in round two it was one that, that certainly I think gave the whole club a bit of confidence. That the Gold Coast win in round one was uh, ugly, I guess to to, to say the least. Not a bad win at that point, though. No, that, they that's did right. Back it up after that. That's so. right. But I guess we didn't know at the time that they'd put a, a good month together, but to beat Essendon in round two was uh, was particularly pleasing.
1: I think also that. They'd they'd put out a lot of noise oh, in the yeah. off season. You know, they'd they'd picked up Dylan Shield and they were they were going all out for on a on a flag according to the, <laughs> the you know, the Essendon membership base and you know, to get a win over them early was was nice mm. and uh, that's always fun to beat them. But I think for me it's it's beating Melbourne. Anytime we beat Melbourne, we've had the wood on them for the last decade and, and they, they came around and beat us uh, once or twice in the last year or two. So so to beat them, you know, to get back on, on the board two and zip on, on that record this year was was nice and uh, I've got a couple of Melbourne sporting friends and family that, <laughs> that uh, it's always nice yeah probably I
2: reckon Hawthorne probably was yeah. up right up there good, yeah, yeah. We, we know a few Hawks fans that we quite happy to mm. tell to settle down a little bit
0: And even though we, we should have beaten Fremantle and did, the manner of that victory was exciting. The, mm. the goals laid in the piece was... So there were plenty of highlights over the course of the year, as we said, plenty of, uh, of lowlights as well. And just before we welcome our, our first guest, uh, of the signings, which one excites you most?
1: Oh, for me, it has to be Brad Hill. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the guy is an absolute superstar. You, you see what he's done in his career over the last decade. Um, you know, he's a three-time premiership player. He's uh, best and fairest. Yeah, yeah, I think De- he's, one of yeah. I think
0: he's two yeah. maybe he definitely uh, won one at Freo. Eh? May have yeah. won one at Hawthorne as yeah, well. Yeah, I
1: reckon he's won one or two. Um, he's just he's a superstar. He's exactly the type of player that we need. Smooth mover, th- smooth mover. It's uh, quick across the ground. He'll love playing it at, at uh, Marvel Stadium. He, he suits us down to a t. Yeah. And I, going away from him being the obvious one, I do really
2: think Zach Jones could fit in really well. Mm. Um, he's still got age on his side. He's probably coming to the peak of his career. Um, so we've got him in at a good time. Um, and if, if he just... That little bit of problem with his disposal when he just... If he can fix that
0: up... Yeah, it just runs too quick I, sometimes, yeah,
2: yeah. Basically just doesn't steady on that last two steps...
0: But if he fixes that up, he's going to be very, very good for us. Not something that we've said about St Kilda place Right? Someone runs
1: too quick. Yeah,
0: Mm. that's right. But he he does have that sometimes. He just needs to take that steadying step. But uh, we have been lucky uh, on our last show to catch up with Steve Lenny and jump inside the inner sanctum. We're going to do that again today.
2: It was amazing. Um, It's with family at home. yeah, long nervous wait, really long night. Um, and I'm just stoked uh, couldn't be more wrapped, it's um, yeah, a really ideal situation. I can't wait to get stuck into it with the boys.
0: The voice you heard there was Ryan Burns, taken by the Saints with their first pick. Had to wait a little while deep into the second night of the draft. But uh, fantastic to have him on board and fantastic to have our next guest with us as well. Chris Toche joining us from the St Kilda Recruiting Department to give us an insight into how the process all works. He's the the regional manager for Victoria and the Allies, keeping an eye on all of the kids ahead of the draft. Chris, thanks for popping in and, and joining us for our podcast this week. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mentioned at the start there that the draft hall, unfortunately, for the Saints was decimated. I guess at the start of the year, you'd sit down and think, I might have picks, we might have picks 4, 8, 17 and 25 to deal with. And I can look at some of the the absolute top end of town. But I guess when you get a a trade
3: hall like the Saints did, it it leaves the barrel a little thin. Yeah, it certainly did. Uh, James Gallagher left us with uh, a pretty ordinary draft hand in the end. But um, I think, you know, as a as a holistic um, look at the draft and the trade period. I mean, as recruiters, we were absolutely thrilled with the the draft hall, that, uh, the, sorry, the trade hall that, uh, that Gags was able to um, facilitate. And yeah, I think uh, in the end, we, we only had the three picks at the draft, but we we're really happy with how it went. And um, I think, you know, the thing that's most pleasing is that you look at our list this year compared to this time last year, and I think, we're positioned in a in a much better way, so that's really exciting. Uh,
2: yeah, thanks for joining us, Chris. Now, um, the makeup of the recruiting team um, what what's the levels that work, and who recruits? Uh, who responds to who? Who's in charge? Makes the top decisions? Um, what, what's the breakdown of it all?
3: Yeah, it's, we're actually a pretty small group, um, so I'd say probably average in terms of um, staff. Looking at it from a, a holistic sort of AFL point of view. Uh, we've got Chris Liberatore, who's the National Recruiting Manager, so he oversees the recruiting department. Uh, then there's myself. Uh, I manage Victoria and the Allies State, so that's sort of Tassie, New South Wales, ACT, Queensland and NT. It sounds like a lot, but it's not that hard. Um, and then we've got Simon Guest as well, who looks after South Australia and Western Australia. And then obviously, um, then there's James Gallagher, who really is you know the head of the List Management and Recruiting Department, and then you've got Steve Lenny, who you guys spoke to to last time who just focuses on the the pro scouting aspect so um yeah even though you know we have sort of specific areas to manage as a recruiting team being myself Libra and guesty um you know we we really share all the duties in terms of watching uh the talent across australia so even though i manage victoria i'll see just as much footy in south australia and western australia as the other guys chris what is
1: uh I mean, obviously, you, you go to a lot of games. You see a lot of games live, and you and you watch you watch the tape. What what is kind of your Monday to Friday, you know, kind of normal work week entail?
3: Yeah, everyone everyone's always fascinated by that. Um, obviously, the weekends are pretty self explanatory. But uh, on a Monday, um, I mean, there's every chance on a weekend that at least two of us. Uh, in the recruiting team have travelled that weekend. So we try to work from home on a Monday, knock off our reports. So um, obviously we, we need to be reporting on the players that we've watched on the weekend. Um, so that can take, you know, half a day or, or almost a full day depending on how many players you're reporting on. Um, and then we sort of use that, that day as well to, I guess, follow up um, with the NAB League clubs or State League, State League level clubs. You know, if someone got injured on the weekend, we might want to get a little update on, on how they're going and that sort of stuff. Uh, on a Tuesday, we're all in the office. We get together as a, as a list management or as a, as a list and recruiting group um, with Gags and uh, and Steve Lenny involved as well. And we just have a little chat about what we saw on the weekend and, you know, who are the movers and, and shakers and who's rising up the board and maybe who's going the other way as well. And we also sort of sit down and, and maybe have a little look at um, what the next weekend looks like in terms of where we're going to head. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of Tuesday is basically just watching vision, so we're really lucky that uh, Champion Data, they, they code all the vision for us, so we've got everything available to us almost um, you know, either Monday afternoon or definitely by Tuesday, so we'll spend the rest of the day watching vision. Wednesday we have a day off, which is great, um, although... Being in such a job yeah. – being in a job like this that you actually – you really love, you know, you do end up probably opening up the laptop for a while and, and watching a bit more vision. Um, Thursday, again, is just more vision. Um, there's just so many players to watch um, across Australia and you can't be at everything on the weekend. So, um, yeah, we'll usually spend a lot of Thursday watching vision as well. And then th- and then Friday is usually either a travelling day if you're going to Perth or South Australia um, or during um, – I guess the middle of the year we have school footy here as well and they tend to play some of their games on a Friday afternoon so we'll get out to some of those too. So
1: you mentioned that you can't kind of get out to all the games which which makes sense because there's hundreds of hundreds of games across the country kind of every weekend but who decides and, and how do you decide which games that you're going to go to and which plays you're specifically going to watch on, on, a, on a given day?
3: Yeah so we sort of start the year um, with a really large follow list um, so we'll have a we'll have a document a working document with every league so nab league sandful waffle etc and all the players that are of interest to us and we've sort of gathered that data having watched these guys probably from under 16s onwards so we sort of know who's who and we also spend some time in the pre-season going to meet with all these clubs so we'll, we'll literally go and meet every sandful waffle and nab league club to get the lay of the land and and I guess, get their impression on who are the players that we should be watching. Um, so then from there, when we're actually deciding the games on the weekend, we just sort of sit down and prioritise the games, I guess, where the, the most talent is. Um, but we're also trying to balance the the load and the travel on all of us as well. So we sort of basically rotate between Victoria, South Australia, Western Australia. Um, and we, you know, we're really lucky that we've got a, a really dedicated network of part-time scouts as well. So... Obviously, between the three of us, we can't get. We, we can really only get to about six games a weekend uh, maximum. So we utilise our network of part-time scouts to get to the games that we can't be at as well. So you know, they're, they're really the unsung heroes of recruiting because um, you know they do a lot of work for not a lot of monetary reward, and um, they're doing it for either the love of the game or or love of the club um, or you know, striving to be a full-time recruiter themselves, which is sort of how I got into it.
0: Now, um, when we spoke to Steve, he spoke about... Um, almost scouting opposition players and building those reports on, on sort of how all that works. From from your point of view, I guess tying that in together, if St Kilda haven't drafted a, a particular player and then three to four years later they're potentially on the market or they're thrown up for a trade or, or the club's looking at them, is it something where they go back to initial reports from you guys and say, what was your draft impression? Has it turned out the way you thought it would with this player at AFL level? What do you think we, we need to do? Is it is it worthwhile? Does it sort of come back to, to that as well?
3: Yeah, absolutely. We, we build... Progress. Profiles on all these guys when they're 18, um, and as I said, that can start from when they're 16 years of age. So there's a hell of a lot of information and reports, um, match reports, psych reports, medical testing, um, car- you know, stuff on their character as well. Um, so yeah, St- you know, Steve will definitely touch base with us and, and get our impressions, and maybe you know, even ask us where they played as a junior, because quite often they come into the system and they might end up playing somewhere else, and we might really have liked a guy as a a midfielder and now he's playing half-back and not getting an opportunity in the midfield. So um, Steve can then use that information, uh, I guess, to help him target guys uh, at the AFL level. I
0: know it's going off on a tangent a little bit, but you did mention then the the psychological profile and things like that. I read about some of the Gold Coast players and some of the questions they were asked, things like if a train was going to kill a worker on the the track and you could divert it down a path but it might run over these kids or something, what are you doing? Uh, Can you shed any light on why they would ask questions like that, and, and what you could possibly get out of yeah. out of how they'd answer
3: that? No, it's a it's it's a question that gets asked a lot. I mean, we're pretty um pretty straight up and down the Saints. Yeah. We're, we 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 tend to go more line and length than that. Um, but each to their own, I suppose. I can only imagine that they're doing it to see how they react under pressure. Yeah. Um, quite often what happens by the end of the year in particular, these all these players that are, you know, at the combine or um, highly touted draftee or potential draftees, they've got player managers. They've mm. been coached up a lot in terms of how to how to respond to questions in interviews and they're, they're usually pretty polished by the end of the year. Um, so it can be a good idea to get them at the start of the year. Um, but, yeah, so I guess I think it would just be to see how they react yep. to, to a bit of a tricky question. Um but, yeah, no, we tend to be a bit more straight up and down.
2: Now, following on from that, you tend to go out to some of the families and players in the areas out in the country or even local in the city. Um, you get to know them quite well, get to know the families, where they come from and all that sort of thing. But if it came down to it, would you be more looking at a picking a player that fills a position or picking the player that fits into the club? Which which would be the priority?
3: Yeah, it's to be honest, you you'd, you'd you're always striving for perfection. So you're looking for a bit of both. Um, yeah, we do a hell of a lot of work in terms of speaking to, you know, families, but not just families, but then, you know, doing a lot of reference checking in terms of speaking to their, their club, their school, all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, you, it's a hard one. I mean, we would never draft a player unless we've been in their home and met their family. So, you know, we need to have a good feel from the player based on, you know, that, character Mm. assessment Um, but also taking into account that not everyone's perfect and you know people have different upbringings and um, you know you have to be really mindful of that Uh, and then in terms of the positional needs and and fits like that uh, that's really more of a list management discussion Um, you know you're always just trying to pick good players at the Mm. draft you don't want to force things too much Um, you know if there's a, a really talented player sitting there but he's not necessarily a need, but he's 10 spots higher than the player you need on, on your board, mm. then I think you go with the talent yep. uh, and just try and make it work.
1: How much of a role does analytics play in, in youth recru- recruitment? And does it play as much of a part as, as when you're looking at kind of professional players to bring into the club? Or, or is it more about kind of the eye test and what they look like when they're playing against the kids their own age?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think it has more relevance analytics at the next level, at AFL level. Uh, mainly because we're not getting the same stats that you get at AFL level. We're getting a, a, very much a dumbed-down version of what you can access at AFL level, so it's hard to quantify some things. Um, but where we've sort of used it this year without giving too much away is, I guess, looking at some players that have been successful at AFL level, having a look at what they look like as juniors, and then, I guess, trying to draw some some comparisons or parallels with some guys uh, that are currently in the draft pool and you know and it, it can throw up some really interesting results so they might throw up a, a player that you haven't necessarily been drawn to with your eye um, but that's a really good thing because then it's like okay well then let's let's go and watch this guy for a month um, you know the numbers are, t- are telling us that you know he's he's tracking similarly to a, a Patrick Cripps or someone like that at, at a junior level. So, you know maybe we're, maybe we're missing something. Um, you know it's just a really good tool to have, I guess, on your side to to check yourself. Um, but yeah, it's it's dangerous in recruiting. You don't want to base your decisions on any one thing. You've got you've got to use all the tools and all the information you've got at hand to, to make the best possible decision.
0: Now We often hear the word steal. So I guess a two-part question, I guess your thoughts on Ryan Burns, who a lot of people tip would have gone a bit earlier than he did for us. And, and, and I guess the second part of that question, when it comes down to a situation with uh, Biggie Newen, who's been at the club for a couple of years, uh, Richmond put a bid in, St Kilda decides not to match. How much do they lean on even your guys' research about, well, who could we get in the draft? Where did you have this kid? Sort of how does that work out? Yeah, it's, uh,
3: yeah. well, I'll start with Ryan. Uh, yeah, Ryan, we were, we were thrilled, as uh, every recruiter says that, don't <laughs> they? Um, yeah, no, but we, we really were. We were thrilled to get Ryan. We rated him pretty highly. Um, so we rated him a lot higher than where we ended up picking him in the draft. Uh, our intel leading into the draft suggested to us that there was probably one club, picking just before us that were likely to take him. It just so happened that a, another player slid through to them that they re, that they preferred to Ryan and, and that pushed Ryan out to us. So uh, if you had have asked us on the day of the draft, not that we would have told you at that point, but he was – Ryan was the one that we thought, yeah, he's the one probably rated high-ish on our board that might get through to us. So we are really pleased. Uh, he had a, a very uh, consistent year. He was captain of Sandringham and, and won their best and fairest. And um, – and we we really went into the draft wanting to pick another midfielder. Uh, we felt like our group um, or our list, as it stands, um, you know, we could really use with some more young mids coming through. So that was a, a bit of a non-negotiable for us. We were always going to pick a midfielder if one was um, was there. Uh, and in terms of Biggie, well, yeah, it was. It's a bit of a bittersweet one with Biggie because. The club did some amazing work yeah. with him. Um, you know, I think, and I think Biggie would be the first to tell you that he leaves St Kilda Footy Club as a better footballer and a better person. Um, he's a great young man. Um, you know, really popular. Uh, unfortunately, on the night we just had some players ranked above him, and we had to be true to our our rankings. Um, as much as that's, it can look appear a bit brutal on the outside. Um, you know, we just had a couple of players ranked above him, and. We, we have to be true to our um, all the work that we've done through the year. Um, we were thrilled that Biggie gets an opportunity. Uh, we wish him well. Um, and yeah, I think you know Richmond have got themselves a player there that uh, you know has has a lot of a, a potential. Um, but yeah, we just preferred some others on the night.
2: So going back a year to a player like Jack by Jack Bytel, how how much work goes into looking at a player that potentially? Was going to go a top 10, yep. but got injured, slips back a fair way, obviously. How much free reign is there sort of going, okay, we'll look at a player like that, pick him up, work on him, bring him back in a couple of years' time, or potentially this year coming up, Yeah, um, the benefits of doing that, and what what's the risk that a club will take on a player like that?
3: Yeah, I think... It's a really good question. We uh, we rated Jack very highly, mm. um, not just as a as a player, but character wise. He's got some real leadership potential as mm. well. He's a very bubbly, energetic person, and we and so from a from a list point of view, we felt like he was a good fit for us, not just as a player, but also personality mm. wise. So we were well aware that when we when we picked Jack, uh, based on the medical screening that our doctors doc- doctors had done on him. Uh, he wasn't going to play this mm. year at all. Yep. Uh, but what gave us real confidence was that they said we're we'll going in we'll fix his back straight away and he's going to be fine. So it's not something that that should bother him long term. Mm. Uh, it's fixable. So yep. um yeah, let's let's be patient. Um this guy's a really talented player. Um you know, let's let's just go ahead and do it even though we'd already picked Max King as mm. well and there was obviously you know, it was unlikely that Max was going to get to the line last yep. year, although, you know, he ended up did he ended up playing for some really good footy for Sandringham and I'm sure he would have debuted if not for that mm. ankle injury. But um no, we just had to take a really patient approach and, and as I mentioned before, we just pick the talent. Mm. Um Jack's flying at the moment. He yep. look he looks a million dollars. Um I, I watched some match him on, on Monday and, and he really stood out. Um he looks like a the, the benefit of not playing last year and getting in the gym is that he looks like a, a third or fourth year player now. So um, I'd be pretty certain that Jack will play some AFL footy next year, which would be really exciting. Uh,
1: you mentioned earlier about having some whispers that, that there was another club or, or a couple of clubs that were interested in taking Ryan before we had our, our first pick. Do you guys play mind games with other clubs and, and kind of you know maybe leak some information that you're looking at someone in particular so that someone else could get through? Or, or how do you kind of deal with that kind of perception from other clubs and fans that are wondering why he didn't take a certain player at this at this point?
3: Yeah, oh, I don't think we really go out of our way to play mind games, but um, yeah, you can overthink things a fair bit. So yeah, we did get that information on, on Ryan, but there was no guarantee that was going to be right either. Um, you get a lot of intel talking to player managers or just keeping your ear to the ground. It's amazing this year, because we didn't have an early pick, all the other clubs were pretty happy to talk to us. Um, so we had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen um, sort of within the first 20, 25 picks. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely times where you might... I've certainly spoken to players in the past, maybe some guys that are a bit more left field and have spoken to them and at the end of our chat or the interview that I've done with them said, hey... Uh, if if anyone else talks to you, if another club talks to you, we were never here, sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because you do that's yeah. what you know. All the clubs when they talk to players, particularly those guys that are a little bit more left field. The last question we always ask is, uh, "Who else have you spoken to?" Because you you, you want to get a bit of a feel for um, can we can we let this guy get to the rookie draft? You know, um, or do we need to do we need to jump on someone a little bit earlier if we really really like someone? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there are a, few, a little bit of mind games out there, but um, not some, it's not something that we, uh, I guess, put a lot of time and effort into.
0: Just a, the last one from from me. In terms of your own, I guess, favourite story, a player that, that you watched for a long, long time that, that sort of landed at the club or, or even slipped through and, and landed somewhere else and is, and is therefore a hard luck story, but is there one in particular that sort of stands out for you that you think, yeah, well, I'm, I'm really glad we plucked this kid?
3: Yeah, there's probably a couple. Like, I think I'm always... A bit of a sucker for those stories where guys have persevered. Um, it's it's not you know it shouldn't be that hard to to pick the guys at the top of the draft, but it's probably the guys that get out to rookie picks. Um, they're the ones that I, I tend to like. So like a Rowan Marshall, yeah, he's missed out as an eighteen-year-old, as a nineteen-year-old, had to go play VFL footy. He wasn't getting a game for North Ballarat in the VFL. Um, you know he was playing for Sebastopol. Um, I think he won the Sebastopol Sebastopol's best and fairest playing about 10 games in that year and then the next year he did play for North Ballarat and, and he played at half back predominantly um, we never really thought he was going to be a half back we, we've liked him forward and ruck um, but that's a there's there's a guy that's just not sucked up he's just gone and, and gradually got better and better and I guess that's what he's been doing now that he's landed with us he's just mm. gradually getting better and better so that's a really good story, I think, and, and someone that we really liked um, and, and has worked out well. And, and Cal Wilkie's probably another one. You know, I think you'd all agree that yep. Cal's just so reliable and dependable for a guy who's only had one year in the system. I know whenever I f- saw Cal near the ball last year, I just felt like he was going to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, so, and Cal's a bit like Rowan, you know, he's had to really bide his time. Cal's Cal was not, not really a sexy player to watch in the Sandful. He he was a little bit um he wasn't in the best condition. Um he sort of run, runs with a bit of a broom sort of up his back and um <laughs> you know, but what he what he does do is he's just incredibly smart. He gets to the right spots, he takes marks off the opposition he helps set up your defence and, and he never wastes the ball when he's got it. So, um, yeah, he's another one that, you know, really uh, we, we think of pretty fondly in the recruiting team, that's for sure. Yeah, we were talking before about how you get to know families and that sort of thing. You, you
2: would get to know a few of them quite well that we don't actually draft. Um, keeping tabs with them and keeping in touch with them and finding out where they are if they're at a club, they're not really getting games or things like that. Do you keep talking to them much and over the
3: years or it's, it's just yeah it's probably not one where we talk to the family directly um, it might be through the manager yep. more so so um, look we're, whenever we go into someone's home we go in there trying to make a really good impression on, on them as well like as mm. much as as much as a player it's a job interview for the player that we're talking to mm. Um, we're really mindful of the fact that we want to represent the St Kilda Footy Club in the best way possible, um, so that if one day down the track they are disgruntled at a club, um, they remember us mm. fondly. You've established that, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. and um, and so that's probably where um, where Gags gets involved, and, and he'll probably talk to player managers and, and sort of manage that relationship through through the agents. Yeah,
1: uh, mate. Last one for me. It's a bit of a two-pronged question, but who, who makes the final call on draft night when you're sitting at the table and, and you've got to call out a name? And secondly, we've all kind of seen the videos of, of the new guys and, and seen kind of the, you know, the cookie cutter trade report, or draft reports and, and kind of the, the summaries on, on each of the guys. Is there, is there one point that you could tell, tell the listeners about each of the, the three guys that maybe they wouldn't have, have seen or read before?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, so in terms of the decision, um, so Libba's recruiting manager. So ultimately, yeah, we're, if we really, if I really like a player, I need to convince Libba. He's he's the one. So um, yeah, so Libba is responsible for for the um, for the national draft. Um, but I guess we we need to also present our draft order to list management committee as well, and it has to get ticked off sort of up the line prior to the draft. So. Um, there's a bit of a process there, but Libba, um, yeah, Libba's the man on, on draft night. Uh, and in terms of the draftees, um, yeah, I guess just some I guess some uh, pretty basic info on the guys. I think Ryan, so Ryan lives about literally two minutes from the club. Um, we, as a recruiting team, well, myself and Simon guest, uh, there's a smoothie bar not far from the club where we go twice, two or three times a week, and we literally drove past Ryan's house Every day for about six months this year. Um, so, and every time we drove past, we said, Oh, there's Ryan, we might pick him. Um, but yeah, right, look, Ryan's uh, hes a smaller mid, but what we really like about Ryan is his ability to use his legs and get out of stoppage. Um, he's got a good turn of speed. I'm not comparing him to Jack Stephen, but if you can imagine how, you remember we had, you know, Stuv would use his legs and get out the front of a stoppage. That's the sort of stuff that Ryan can do. Um, and he also kicks really well on, on either foot. Um, Leo Connolly, uh, is a gippy boy. He's super talented. Um, you know, I, I think without putting too much pressure on him, although he, he likes to talk it up himself. <laughs> I, I think he's probably, if not the best, maybe the second best kick in the draft this year. Uh, he's an exceptional kick of the footy. He's a right footer, but um, if you ask him, he says he's not sure which one's his better one. Um, so he's just a really talented person. He's a good cricketer. He's taught himself how to play piano and guitar and he sings and he's just one of those annoying people that's really good at everything. I hate those guys because I'm not good at anything, um, other than recruiting, of course. And um, and Jack Bell, yeah, look, Jack's going to be a long-term project for us. He's, he's 202 centimetres, but we, we really wanted to pick somebody that could play forward and, and a bit of ruck as well this year. Um, he's another one that lives just down the road. He's, he's pretty much best mates with Max King, so Max was rapped um, to get him through the door we, what we really liked about Jack was his ability to win the ball in a lot of different ways. So he can take a big, spectacular mark. Um, his forward craft's good, so he can get off someone on the lead. His ground ball is really, really good for his size. Um, so he's a he's a difficult matchup. He's just going to have to put on ten to fifteen kilos um, before he, you know he's going to be considered for the next level. But Jack knows that he's patient, um, and you know we're looking at him with a you know very much a long term view, but they 've all hit the ground running um, they 've made a really good impression, and uh, you know I think, yeah, so far so good. Chris, thank you for uh, stopping by and giving us those insights into the other uh, inner workings
0: of the Recruiting department, uh, certainly been an exciting off-season. Enjoy a a little break. I know you're you're still monitoring some of the little camps that the uh, the Metro and the the Vic Country boys and those guys are doing over this summer period, but hopefully a bit of a break and and come back refreshed, ready to uh, cast the eye over thousands.
3: Yeah, thanks, guys. Anytime.
0: (laughs) Chris Toche there. It's uh, been a very historic uh, couple of months for the St Kilda Football Club as we draw closer to the start of the AFLW season.
3: It's a great
4: opportunity, isn't it, um, to have the two programs uh, training together? It's just, um, you know, an extension of the connection that the two groups are making. You know, um, I've got a pretty good relationship with Rats, and um, I think that just really flows through down to the teams. And you know, they say the teams are a mirror of yourselves, and um, I think it's really important that it's genuine. And today, showing that it is. And um, you know, know, Rats has already made really strong relationships with the girls uh, last year through the VFL program. So it's just really important to have that connection, sense of belongingness, and you know, just the 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 value of having that between the two teams when it's authentic um, really speaks volumes.
0: That was Peter Searle speaking at uh, St Kilda's training session on the weekend, part of their Christmas party. The weekend just gone where the men and the women uh, entered the field together and trained on the same park at Moorabbin and uh, post-Christmas, it's really going to happen very, very quickly. We're delighted to be joined by Jamie Cox, who was a very, very fine cricketer and now working in the football space with the Saints for about five years in regards to their future football programs. And Jamie, thanks for joining us thanks Darren, pleasure. How do you go balancing those loves I guess? uh, We know your your cricket background as a a fine first class servant with Tasmania and now obviously working in in football so combining a a couple of those passions, uh, am I correct in saying you're still doing a bit of cricket stuff? Yeah it's a delicate
4: balance, Um, I tend to spend a couple of days a fortnight down in Tassie and um, it's really a labour of love I guess, it's a it's an association, again, that was great to me for a long time. So to be back involved there is, uh, is really exciting, but it's equally exciting to be involved, you know, from day one of this list build and this program build towards AFLW. The fact that it's now only uh, a month away is um, is really exciting.
2: G'day, Jamie. Thanks for joining us. Um, now, there's been, obviously, as we are saying, a lot of excitement about this club, getting our women's team in and um, a lot of reports there was a few players that were really excited to actually jump on board and just made it their thing to get to the club. Um, some of the players are looking out for this season. Who would we be looking at the, at the most?
4: Um, mate, it's a really difficult one. We've, well, I think we've, and this might sound a bit cliche, but we've got a very even group. Um, we, we went pretty hard during the expansion process to try and recruit good people, uh, and experienced W players and delighted that, you know, the likes of Nat Exxon, uh, Kate McCarthy, Kat uh, Phillips, Jeff Cegneri, uh have decided to commit to the Saints from, from other states and other clubs interstate, as well as some of our returning Southern Saints from the previous year who had been drafted. So with that core group, it was super um, we added to that with our last year's BFL group, another dozen or so, and then went to the draft and picked up our bottom seven. And The teller we picked up at the draft, um, the likes of Georgia Patricios, uh, who we got with pick three, um, we very openly said that if we had picked one, we would have also taken Georgia, so we're delighted to have her. Um, young Tani White, who's a Queenslander who's come down, is a natural footballer coming back from an ACL 18 months ago, but is getting back to her best now, Nick Zenos is just an exciting little speed machine who played in Collingwood's premiership team last year. Um, you know Rosie Dillon, one of the better players out of the VFLW competition last year from Hawthorne. So we actually feel like we're pretty well equipped. But if I gave you the name of a superstar, I look, I'd probably say Patrikios will be a standout. Uh, I think she's just silk. She's got great class. She's a She's just a very natural footballer who I think um, will excite a lot of Saints uh, AFW fans.
1: Um, Jamie Nick Slitter here. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. Um, just in terms of uh, obviously the first year of, of the new the new women's footy club. How important is kind of educating the girls on the history of the footy club, um, especially given they're going to be playing at Moorabbin at the spiritual home. Um, you know, how important is is that history to, I guess, what is essentially a new franchise?
4: Yeah, it was a critical part, Nick, and it was actually a real key part of the pitch that we made to any girls looking to to come to the Saints. That so we've been a, now, a men's footy club for 140 years. We've been a a female footy club for probably about two and a half. Um, so you know, we don't pretend to get everything right, but we've we've learned a lot through having to sit and wait and watch others. Uh, into the AFLW. So, um, yeah, mate, the history of the Saints, uh, it's its almost tragic in many ways. The fact we've won one premiership, theres it's, it's a story of almost, but it's a story of, you know, great players, great times. Um, there should no doubt have been more premierships come out of St Kilda, but its uh, it's been a key part of our growth to our girls, and, and I think someone said it off the start. A lot of the girls I know have committed to St Kilda, um, based on our short history in the women's game uh, but also the way we've gone about it and, and we're really pleased with what we've managed to assemble
0: Jamie Cox is the head of emerging football programs at the Saints uh, in regards to that, that educational aspect of it conversely for the, the men as well we saw in training the other day both sides training together running out onto the ground effectively together which was a really terrific thing to see but, but even educating them as well and saying that um, look we, we know that Men's football, as you say, has been around for, for 150 years at, at St Kilda, but uh, educating them on the importance of this new new step, the, the diversity of it, and, and obviously the opportunities that opens up for them and, and even potentially their daughters going forward.
4: Yeah, to be fair, they've been terrific, our guys. Um, they've been really curious and really open towards opening up the football club for the girls. And certainly under um, you know, Rats' leadership and some of the senior players, They've been exceptional at welcoming the guys, uh, the girls into the club. It, it just—we did challenge the guys. We did basically say, "Hey, boys, it's been your footy club for a long time, but no longer. You know, you're going to have to share. So, the quicker you make it comfortable for these girls, um, the better we can enjoy what now feels like a, you know, a proper football club, having been back, relocated back to Moorabbin for uh, for a couple of years. So, uh, they've been outstanding. Very welcoming, very engaging with the girls, and I know the girls have appreciated certainly being welcomed
2: into uh, a great footy club like the Saints. Now, the South East Corridor community have really got behind the team, it seems. Um, there have been a lot of community involvement with some of the players and businesses and things around that. Um, what have been some of the really good stories that come out of the local community getting behind the team and just just the support that the New team is getting
4: Yeah well we we, we pitched hard I think it might have also been mentioned Off the bounce to um, To be part of AFLW from the start Based on what we knew Was just really strong support Bayside and you know We've got probably I don't know I'm I'm guessing at the moment But probably half our squad Have Bayside origins So the girls that largely are in our group Have come through our uh, VFL program um, a lot of them cross-coders, which is pretty consistent. Uh, inside the girls' game, you get a lot of girls who are elite at another sport, but choose, now they can actually play football, choose to go and play a game that they've followed all their lives but just never been able to play. So um, so many of the girls have, have crossed over, and, and you're right. I mean, the local support, particularly through the SNJFL who share the facility with us here at Moorabbin, um the support through the SMJFL in particular, has been, uh, has been fantastic. And um, we hope to, obviously, that turn that into a really strong breeding ground for our footy club for years to come.
1: Uh, Jamie, I'm, I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here, mate. Um, I heard a whisper uh, late last week that internally the club had a goal of uh, about 1,000 memberships for the AFLW team. Uh, and yep. that uh, kind of as of earlier this week or late last week, would well and truly mm-hmm. pass that mm-hmm. goal. Uh, to the point where we would run out of membership packs and run out of uh, cards. Can can you confirm or deny this?
4: I can't. Uh, I can't confirm the running out of the cards piece, but I can confirm it's been wildly successful. And I know the number. The last I heard, it was over fourteen hundred. So, uh, and that was a little while ago. So, look, it has been popular, and there's genuine support and genuine love for what the girls are now able to do. I mean, to commit to an AFLW membership. Uh, is an interesting thing because you don't really get a lot for it. The games are free to go. Um, But what it is is a show of faith in that this is a growing product uh, and something that I'm convinced, having been involved for now for for a couple of years and haven't seen it grow, that in five years' time, this will be a seriously good product. It it will actually have a a generation then of young footballers and not just cross-coders coming in to play it. Um, it'll be right up there with the best of female sports um, as a spectacle because it's um, it's already attracting some real high end quality athletes um, and we're about to get a, a whole group of high end quality footballers who are also good athletes come into it. So you know, to be a member of, I think the first thing of anything, um, yeah, great great testament to uh, great testament to our you know 1400 odd saints. Fans that have chosen to be part of that, um, you know, our club is ambitiously chasing 50,000 members a- across the football club this year, and-, and certainly it's great that the AFL girls are uh, are playing their part in helping the club reach that
1: number. Saints fans, one 246 get in touch and, and uh, organise your membership for 2020, both of the men and the women. Jamie, Peter, Searle, obviously a, a really important kind of. Figurehead for the the, the women's program at, at our club, she was also prior to that a, a really important person in the in the football department for the men's program. How important was it for the club to have Peter move from from the men's program to the the, the women's program to, and to be involved at, at that level?
4: Um, yeah, Pete. Oh look, Pete has been enormous. Um, she's coached our VFL team for two years. Uh, she comes with an enormous amount of experience. She will be the only female AFLW coach next year. Um, That in itself is quite daunting, but something we and and she are very proud of. Um, Just to have Peter's experience in girls' football and to understand the challenges our girls deal with to commit to football has been enormous. And I know a lot of the girls have connected very quickly with Peter uh, for exactly that reason, but... You know, she's developed a relationship, a great relationship with, with Rats and the other uh, senior men's coaches as well, which enables this lovely transfer of intellectual property, I suppose, across both programs. So we are very lucky. We've managed to integrate both our programs pretty well, um, as, much, as well as what you can do. I mean, they're obviously, they need their own space, both the men and the women. But uh, Peter's and Brett, for that matter, have both been a massive part of Of growing to where we are right now. It's just um, uh, now the important bit. It's time to play some games.
0: That's right and the first of those games is Sunday the 9th of February once you get through Christmas that's not all that far away and it is at the Spiritual Heartland Moorabbin 10 past 3 against the Western Bulldogs who are the inaugural premiership winners in this competition and they've obviously been one of those those founding teams in the AFLW and one would expect with the Saints playing at Moorabbin quite a bit in the uh, the months of February and March that we're going to get quite quite impressive crowds and and hopefully a really good standard of footy. Jamie well done on all the work you're doing and, and thanks for joining us.
4: Uh, pleasure, Darren. Thanks, guys. It's uh,
0: exciting times. Now wind back the clock now and have a chat to one of our legends.
1: Green now is on the wing position on the outer side. Takes his kick. Not a bad one. In towards centre-half forward once again. They're looking for Baldock all right. Knocked away by Gabalich. Comes down here to young Davis. Here's Baldock now, Mr Magic. He goes away, but a free kick has been made to Alan
2: Davis. Alan Davis takes his kick. Oh, it's a long one too. It's going to the goal square.
5: They press it, Mark. Kevin Neal has put it through. Neal marked from behind and put it right through on the first goal of the game. Came up after three minutes of play. The first goal to the Saints. There he is, Cowboy Neal from South London.
0: Nice to catch up with Jamie Cox earlier about uh, the developments of a few of the pathways within the St Kilda system, most notably the AFLW, which does kick off on the 9th of February uh, with St Kilda taking on the Western Bulldogs. As we set off the top, unfortunately the introduction for our next guest is one that is shared for too few. We certainly hope that others will earn this moniker one day, but St Kilda Premiership star Barry Breen joins us, the first Saint to play 300 games, also captain the club, and uh, a rather fitting uh, tribute or active support for a Premiership teammate in recent weeks, Kevin Cowboy-Neal. Uh, recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's and Barry Breen was able to uh, trump up the support of a number of ex-Saints. I think there was up to 40 in attendance at a, at a recent gathering to, uh, to pay tribute and uh, to pay their respects to a friend in Kevin Cowboy-Neil, who is doing it tough at the moment. Barry, thanks for joining us.
6: Darren, Nick, Darren, thanks for having me.
0: Now, uh, I guess the how that all sort of came about, and, and when you found out that, uh, that that Kevin was doing it reasonably tough, and, and I think it's fair to suggest that through the history of the football club, there would hardly be a more popular figure than than Cowboy.
6: No, he was, he was, he's up there definitely in in that that uh, echelon, and uh, was a great player, great bloke, and, and we've been we've been mates so we played our first game together. So we've shared a fair bit together over the years, and. Uh, and and it's funny how when you find out that Cowboy has Alzheimer's, and you you look back him and I speak to Cowboy fairly regularly, and then uh, just one phone call I think I remember most was I rang him I said mate day, how are you going and it took him five minutes or he couldn't work out who it was and uh, I, I didn't realise but uh, but later on that was the start of it and uh, and that hence the the lunch and 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 trying to um, Recognise
2: Cowboy before he forgets all of us. Now, myself, Darren, and Nick are very much from a different generation. We we grew up with seeing the end of Tony Lockett, um, Nick Revolt, that sort of thing. Just in comparison, how big was he to the club compared to them in back in the day?
6: Well, uh, Nick and and and, and um, I mean, they're icons of the game, and 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 Cowdy was, I mean. He played his first game at at 18 and he kicked five goals in the grand final in 66 and won goal kicking a couple of times and then went down back and played on Hudson and others and and he was just in his time for his size and and how he played the game um, was quite uh, extraordinary and he was quick for a big man, he was strong, great mark, um, good kick when he wasn't kicking for goal (laughs) and as most of them are today anyway but... Um, he was just he was an elite player there's no
1: doubt about that um barry obviously for, for us younger supporters of the club that, that weren't around to, to watch him play we, yeah. we've all heard the name cowboy Neil. we've all seen yeah. kind of highlights and you know we, we know that is he's, he's a revered man in, in the history mm-hmm. of the football club but a, as someone who's known him really well for you know for the majority of of both of your lives 50 can, years. can mm-hmm. yeah exactly right can can you tell us tell us a bit about Cowboy Neil, Kevin Neal's at the person rather than the player?
6: Look, he was a personality cowboy. And if if in the old days when you'd you'd go to Geelong or you had a long bus ride or whatever the case may be, he was a great storyteller. Yeah. He he remembered he could tell jokes from Cadinia Park back to Moravan and then sitting in the bus having a beer until midnight he would continue those stories. He just had that ability to tell a joke and Someone tells me a joke, I forget it in five minutes. Cowboy, it never ever forgot a story, and but he was just a a lovable. There was not a mean bone in his body off the field, if you know what I mean. And even on the field, there was not a mean bone in his body. He was a very he was talented. He, he okay, he whacked Hudson in the seventy one grand final, but that was just the perfect moment. But um, he he was a clean footballer, um, but you didn't want to get in his way as a person he he was first class he was a basic bloke he came from Mournable. he was an apprentice bootmaker um in in those days um did he ever have a really really high power job no but he he worked for a lot of people and all the people he worked for loved him and he worked for me at the sydney swans when i was ceo there and no one says a bad word about cowboy and and that is um that's a credit to he, his, his
0: character and, and. And what sort of a person he is? Can that be best summed up by the attendance of Peter Hudson at the the event you organised a, a couple of weeks ago? Now, obviously, there were some great St Kilda names there. Peter Hudson, not a, a great St Kilda name, a champion right. of, of the game. But you talk about that grand final where Hudson comes in with 147 for the season and, and looks like he's going to hold the, the record himself for the most goals in a, in a campaign. He still shares that record, but as you say, cowboy, the, the, as folklore has it, stood up and said he can't kick goals if he's if he's unconscious. It's he belts fun. him and but but the fact that that Peter Hudson was still in attendance and they still obviously had that bond must say a lot about his character
6: that's right and and when I spoke to Hutto and said mate will you come and he said with all um, he said yes I'd love to come and if, if all my commitments enable me to and he did and he just had the best time while he was there and Cowboy obviously recognised that Hutto was there um, and, and Hutto, I mean there's, there's I know, in the top 10 of all time mm. and, and um, just a, a lovely person as well. And it was, again, the uh, recognition of Cowboy's character that someone like Peter Hudson would
2: come to an event like that. Now, looking back at a um, the final story, I do remember watching a little while ago when it came out after the 50 years. Um, yep. Do you recall Brian Saracoski talking about how the whole day went Players all did everything. And then he said that you basically took all the um, all the fanfare away by kicking a point. Um, has Cowboy ever mentioned the fact that, yes, he did kick five goals and he's trying to work out why maybe he isn't at the front uh, of it all?
6: Well, I mean, that's a that's Sarah. And, and Sarah and I, we're good mates and we, we speak a lot. And I was over there earlier in the year. Um, Sarah played a great game in the back pocket. Cowboy played a great game at Full forward and kicked five goals. I played five I, I kicked five points. So without <laughs> any of those contributions, we don't win the game. Um, but it just it does I mean they must be very sick of just when a grand final is mentioned, I get the accolade. Yep. <laughs> um, but that's that's footy and but we all recognise everybody played a very important part in making um, that game of success for us and doesn't matter was it was a jimmy lee jeff moran john bingley john bingley did a great job roger he did a great job in the back pocket we all contributed something on the day mm. and um, that's the most important thing
1: You talking about that game obviously uh you know it, it was a long time ago how does how does you know having the most famous moment in the football club's history sit with you you know 50 odd years later i mean all all things going well, you know, eight or nine years ago, there could have been a a new greatest memory when Brendan Goddard took that mark and kicked the goal. Correct. Held on for 90 more seconds. That probably takes the the mantle, but how does that sit with you, you know, 53 years later?
6: Um, Look, I'm grateful. Um, It's too long, um, but it's, uh, look, some people say to me, Brendan, if you hadn't kicked that point, you would just be in a brickie's label (laughs) or something like that. To me, I didn't complete the university, but my football career was my university degree and it taught me a lot, being around a whole bunch of people that um, had all sorts of skills. So I'm very grateful for the fact that, that it was me um, and I, I don't dwell on it, but it, 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 as time goes by, it's it's bigger than Ben Heard or bigger than Texas and, and we just want the next one to happen and then it, it gets pushed into the background a little bit, but... It's just one of the iconic moments of Australian football and for me, I'm extremely grateful that it was me and uh, I hope I'm humble enough about it to appreciate it, um, acknowledge my teammates and I think I do that.
0: A final one from from me and I guess it's a, a two party. You spoke about Cowboys stories and i heard a few regalings that, you know, he was still a bit cheeky on on that particular day, saying he had no recollection of, of belding Hudson but but we all obviously knew that he, he did have a memory of that. But how often so so how was he on the day in terms of obviously knowing that everyone was there, George Young from WA and Carl Dittrich and and all of these people? And I guess the second part now that you know, Darrell Bulldock and Alan Jeans are are no longer with us and it's getting harder and harder. Uh, For you premiership players, uh, how frequently do you see each other?
5: Well,
6: not a lot because we're scattered all over the countryside, as you just said, Mm. Perth, South Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, wherever. Um, Cowdy was okay on the day Mm. Um, and I made sure that he was because everybody who came, I said, Cowdy, do you know who that is? And some he didn't because we'd all changed. There was a lot of Mm. guys there that um, weren't. Um, well-known names in terms of a lot of time at St Kilda, but um, like Juddy came and and Juddy played alongside Cowboy in the Grand Final, and a lot of blokes wouldn't recognise Juddy today, but I said, mate, that's Juddy. I said, who's that? He said, no, I've told him, um, and I said to him a a number of times, I said, do you know why we're here, mate? No, I don't know. I said, we're all here because of you, and I, I said that a number of times to him, and then when I acknowledged everybody that came and made the effort to get there, I said, Cowdy, when he's sitting there with Georgie, I said, mate, you know why we're all here? No. I said, we're all here for you. And that was an emotional time of the day. And then Georgie was emotional about it. She couldn't say, I said, Georgie, you want to say something? She couldn't. And Cowdy was very emotional about it as well. But he knew why we were there in the end. And I think that was the most important thing.
2: Now, stepping away from the obvious, what what is the one thing... That step sticks out to you from your career, your time at the saints on field off field, obviously, we know what the one big thing would be, but what what is something else that's just not obvious to anyone else that you'd just remember vividly? oh
6: look that's a hard question um I had eighteen years there um lots of highs, lots of lows, the highs always outlast the lows um and some players who you know uh, at St Kilda or other clubs that have a low, or get something happens to them, and they get they get annoyed or dirty on the club and don't don't come back. Um, there's lots of reasons why I should be dirty on the club. Um, left a lot of money there in 1982, 65,000 um, bucks. But I would never ever get dirty on the St Kilda Football Club. You may have a point about certain individuals but you never, ever um, take it out on the football club because the football club is the supporters and all the people that contribute over many, many years of the history of the St Kilda Football Club. You cannot say, I am not going back to that place or I've I've wiped them because you would be um, slapping the face of all those people that have followed that football club for 150 years and um, I'd never do that. And that's probably... The, the, the highlight I, just the, I'm part of the structure of the footy club part of the history of the club I um, I really treasure that and treasure the people that I've met along the journey and that's probably the best thing all the people you meet, your teammates the highs and lows, forget grand finals or finals or, or 300 games or club records, captain whatever that may be, hall of fame it doesn't matter, it's the people that you meet and that you'll make, retain their friendship over 50 years, it's the best part of of any football
1: club. Barry, you kind of touched a bit on it. Um, I think fans and supporters and members are the same. You know, you look back at the history of our football club, and it's very much a tragic history. Um, you know, right. over 150 yeah. years, and and often. You know, fans and supporters will will get down on the club, and and you know there are threats made. I'm tearing up my membership. I'm you know I'm never coming back. I'm done with this footy club, etc. But but we all do. We all come back the next year, and and we all love the club. And and what is it from from your perspective, from a, a an ex player, a premiership player, a 300 gamer, former captain? What is it about our football club that that you know has this effect on on supporters and and you know. We, re, we we bleed red, white and black. What is it about our footy club that's so special?
6: Well, I've, I've barracked to St Kilda since I was four years of age. My dad came from Ireland. He took me to the Junction Oval when I was three or four. I, and I spent all that time in the 50s following St Kilda when they didn't win a game. When I was the only guy at school, kid at school, who barracked to St Kilda and you got ridiculed for it. Um, you have to have a certain... Um, strength of character to follow St Kilda <laughs> through the highs and the lows. As you said, there have been lots of tragedies and lots of bad decisions made um, uh, in, in my time, and, and certainly prior to my time and after my time. But the thing is, now I think they're on the right track, and the administration and, and what they're trying to achieve, Moravan and all that sort of thing, is setting the club up for a good future. Um, we had a good we had a good time. We lost the plot. Um, we got it back. We lost it again. But I think now we are um, heading towards a better future. But it's it's really the tragedies of the footy club that, that makes St Kilda supporters, and they always live in hope. And, and um, that's what they've done for 150 years. We're waiting for that next premiership. We should have won two or three after 66. We didn't for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, it's just St Kilda seems to attract... Um, Tragedy. <laughs> I don't know. I hope it goes away, but that's part of the character of the Footy Club, which makes it unique. And people are just waiting for that moment, and uh, hopefully it'll be very soon.
0: Hopefully, indeed, Barry. Thank you for giving us uh, some time uh, this evening. We really appreciate Thanks your time. You, well done on uh, on all you've done for for Cowboy, and most importantly, all you've done for the club. Thanks very much, Matt. Good to talk. Well, that was Barry Breen, 1966 Premiership star, but a lot more than that, as we said, club captain and and 300 games, the first saint to do so, and it took until Stuart Lowe reached that mark which would have been about 30 years later, to uh, to, to find another St Kilda player to, to reach 300 AFL games. He was a, a superstar, Barry Breen. His 1971 Grand Final was outstanding. Unfortunately, uh, it ended in defeat for the Saints, but he was a gun at centre-half forward on that particular day. Well, that's it for us for the year. Uh, to, to both of you guys, Merry Christmas, and we look forward to kicking it off Pretty soon again in the new year, actually, because we're only about five weeks away from a St Kilda team playing a game, which is the AFLW girls at Marabyn against the Bulldogs. So we'll be uh, bringing you programs all through that as well. So uh, enjoy the remainder of 2019.
1: That's... Yeah, you too. It's, uh, it's it's gonna it's gonna be good to have a bit of a rest. But uh, yeah. yeah, looking forward to to a new season. It's, it's exciting on a number of a number of levels. Yep.
2: Cheers, boys, and go Saints 2020.